This week on the It's a Monkey podcast. I do believe that in the future we are going to have a number of coins that are used by many people and are equally successful. So I think Ethereum is not a direct competitor to Bitcoin, for example. They cover different builds and they do different things. You can achieve different things with those two coins. I think they will prosper side by side. And I really hope so because I like both Bitcoin and Ethereum. Some of the other ones that are more privacy-centric, for example, like Monero, they will also, I think, prosper side by side because they, they solve slightly different problem and they have slightly different use case. And I'm sure we'll see a lot more coins that will be implemented well, that will be successful and be used every day. Good morning, good evening, hello wherever you are in the world. My name is Kevin Garber. I am the CEO of Manage Flutter and soon to be Manage Social. I am coming to you live from downtown Sydney, Australia. Beautiful, beautiful summer's day today. With me as always is uh, my co-host, Kate Frappel, who's the design lead at Manage Flutter and Manage Social. Kate is from Sydney, but she is sitting in Whistler, Canada in the middle of winter. Don't know why she's done that to herself. Kate, thanks for joining us on today's uh, podcast. It's good to be back. It's been a few weeks since we've uh, published one. It's been a few weeks since we've published one. I wanted to try keep it up, but December happened. People went away. It's difficult to find guests. Um, it's all sort of, you know, plus a lot going on and manage Flutter and we have our day-to-day work to do. So we're a small team. It's hard to keep on going, but uh, we, we do love to to keep um, these up. If you um, want to be interviewed on the podcast or, know, or someone who would be a great guest, uh, send us an email at podcast at itsamonkey.com. We're always looking for interesting people to interview on the show speaking of guests later on in the show i did a fantastic interview with uh, roman stefaniti who's the cto of independent reserve now independent reserve is one of the significant uh, crypto exchanges in sydney australia or in australia i should say and as you know crypto since our last podcast it has been all the way up to 20,000 bitcoin uh, 20,000 per bitcoin US it's come all the way down to 9,500 US per bitcoin the world has discovered crypto in, since our last podcast so it was really I thought I really wanted to get someone to talk about crypto and it was a great chat that I had with Roman yesterday in our office so stick around for that but as usual before um, we get into the interview we like to cover a few um, little news items that way um, you can sort of stay in touch with some of the uh, goings on in the social media industry in the tech industry i have had some feedback from some listeners that they actually really enjoy the news items because it helps them to stay abreast of um, some of what's going on kate a couple of news items this week. Facebook made a quite a surprising announcement, actually. It was quite a surprising announcement that they're actually going to rework the news feed and they're going to actually sort of weight personal news, personal posts higher than business and news information posts. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the news feed changes are basically going to affect business pages or if you have like a page for like a personal brand type thing and the idea is that they're going to rank person-to-person interaction and posts higher than person-to-page. In this sense anything that you post on your business page is not going to be as well shown or ranked as highly on other people's news feeds. 
So this means like businesses are going to have to work extra hard to up their engagement, lots of commenting, lots of um, live videos as well are ranked quite highly. Um, but like normal, you know, this is my blog post, everybody have a read is going to not really be seen. I was actually very encouraged by this. Mm. I'll tell you why. Facebook being a business, a commercial business, they obviously would be very tempted to to sell more ads and to sell more, you know, boosts, posts and things like that. But I think what Facebook realized is that Facebook was really built initially as a social media network. And what was most compelling was the social media network, the human-to-human interaction, connecting with your friends, seeing what they're up to. And actually in Mark Zuckerberg's announcement around these changes, he did say that research has shown that seeing friends and families' posts uh, led to an increased feeling of well-being, better connected sense of community, whereas seeing news articles and even, they noted, even happy animal videos didn't lead to that same sense of satisfaction. So I think what they worried about is Facebook becoming just a neutral to negative emotional experience, which even if they're pumping a lot of ads through, may work, work in the short term, but in the long term, will that eventually squeeze people out? And I think it's a, it's a really good move on Facebook's part. Yeah, for the most part, I, I tend to agree. And I would like to see more of what my friends and family are sharing than what businesses are sharing. But it's going to take, in my opinion, it's going to take a little while to get people to start sharing again because as far as I can tell, like family and friends aren't sharing as much on Facebook as they used to, mostly because it's getting lost or they just, you know, it's gotten to the point where they've got so many friends that they they don't feel comfortable sharing personal events. So it's going to take a little bit of training to get people back into that mindset where they can share and interact with people like that. I agree. And I think they also, Facebook need to communicate to people how you can actually target some of your personal posts as well. You don't have to let everyone see all your posts. You can create different buckets of people. And um, I still think it's a, you know, definitely Facebook's strength is that virtual community, which I was always a bit disappointed when it just became this big news sharing sort of exercise. You know, and Twitter being a more open platform, I can understand it makes more sense. People don't want to share particularly private things. Um, But Facebook being a, a, a gated closed network it's a great opportunity to to share to support to get insight into each other's lives so i think i think it's a great thing by the way we're experimenting this week on uh, streaming this podcast on facebook so if you're not following our facebook page just look up it's a monkey on facebook then you'll get a notification when we stream and if you're watching uh, I can see we've got a few people watching. We've experimented in the past with streaming on Periscope, which seems to do better with just getting people from, you know, some random people. But Facebook, uh, I see a few people watching. If you're watching, you're welcome to comment. We'll give you a shout out. You're listening to Kevin Garber and Kate Frappell on It's a Monkey podcast. We talk about everything relating to tech, um, startups, social media, cryptocurrency, you name it. And later on in the interview in the show, um, we're going to be playing an interview that I did with Roman Stefanidi, who is the CTO of Independent Reserve, a cryptocurrency exchange in Sydney, Australia. And we had a great chat about crypto and Bitcoin and and uh, all of those exciting bits and pieces. Other news items, Kate, of course, the big, the big conference, CES, 
happened this year again as it has for, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years. I don't even know um, um, how long it's been going on for. And that's always a, a place where technology companies showcase some of their uh, prototypes. They showcase their new technologies. Tell us a little bit of what were the highlights from CES this year. Um, so I've got a couple that sort of stood out to me. And the first one is so Sennheiser, who traditionally do the like headphones, earphones type. They do them really well. Um, so they've come out with a 3D sound bar. Um, they haven't put a name on it yet, but it's sort of their first step into the home audio experience. They're looking at sort of an immersive spatial audio experience that you would usually get from like a complicated nine-speaker system, and now it's like a sort of a single 4.5-foot box that, yeah, you can put in your living room, and it's apparently you got to hear it to believe it. That's great because one of the things with all these great sound solutions is you've got to set them up and measure it and, and bits and pieces all over. But it'll be great if you could just put dump one piece of equipment in your living room and it just sounds like you're immersed in it all, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's the first one that was particularly interesting. The second one is a, I'm not sure if I'm saying this correctly, but Peloton, or Peloton a treadmill. So it's marked at $4,000. And it's sort of, it's based on like a, a model that they had before, which is sort of like a spinning tr bicycle type machine. But this one's a treadmill. And uh, it was interesting, like the way I sort of read this article was that it's sort of marketed the same way that Apple markets their thing. So it's based on an experience more than the actual physical object. And it comes with a 32 inch monitor, um, which is like a touch screen. And the users will be able to, interact with like expert fitness trainers which are based in Manhattan and get classes um, so you can do you know running classes and stuff as well but the interesting thing is that you can also do yoga and all sorts of other classes through this um, through this screen it seems uh, seems interesting I mean I think exercise and gamifying exercise is a real big opportunity it's, no one's really really cracked it yet but it's a really fantastic opportunity to gamify i can see that i can see you know getting on a treadmill and running against other people and seeing what they their their, their sort of paces etc cetera, etc cetera. so I, I can certainly see i mean four thousand dollars though is a lot of money it is uh and on top of that it's 39 dollars a month to have access to these like virtual classes well, there's all these people that have made a ton of money on crypto, so um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe they can they can do something with that. Tell us, uh, tell us uh, some other bits and pieces from CES. So I've only got one other one, which is a guitar picked shaped device. So it's sort of it's a it's it reminds me a bit of like a stone, but it's in the shape of a guitar pick, and that's capable of testing the quality of drinking water, um, and it examines the the electric field around the glass that you're going to drink. Okay, why? what's the electric field got to do with anything? I'm not sure. I haven't read a whole lot on this one. Um, uh -huh. But yeah, that's, that's sort of a more, I guess, humanitarian exhibition to come out of CES. Yeah, I've got, I've got a bottle that's got a built-in filter that's actually incredibly good at filtering out Absolutely almost everything. I mean, quality of water is actually a big thing in many, many countries. So that would be really cool if you could actually, because sometimes, sometimes I guess 
there's probably a lot of safe water that people are quite fearful of because they don't know. So it actually makes sense to have some technology that can actually just assess if you're somewhere and you can assess if um, the water from the stream is okay or not. I'd love to find out more about that. What's, what's that called? Lishtot. So L-I-S-H-T-O-T. Okay, interesting. Well, we'll we'll check that out. And yes, yeah, CES is a it's a great if you just have a look at blog posts on uh, you know announcements at CES. I saw there were some companies that came out with some new battery packs. There was a few, a few sort of robotic, you know, like Sony have their new little dog, which actually came out last year, but it was a bit of a flop apparently. So now it's sort of made progress in terms of being like a robotic pet, I guess. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I'd I'd uh, I'd love to go to CES one day and to see all the uh, the, the latest and all the ge- the geek bits and pieces. And apparently, it's very very impressive to go there. Maybe we can even convince them one day to uh, to fly us out there, and we'll we'll do some coverage for them. So if anyone's <laughs> listening from CES, count me in for next year. We'll we'll spend the day doing clips and shows and and all the rest. So um, yeah, sounds sounds exciting. So. You're listening to the It's a Monkey podcast. This is episode 111. So you have 111 podcasts to listen to um, up until now if you if you really want to do that to yourself. We try to broadcast every week. We're trying to, going to ramp that up again this year. We love to hear from you. You can tweet us. You can email us. You can uh, pitch us to be interviewed. And we're going to take a short break. And after the break, um, we're going to play the, the interview that I did yesterday with Roman Stefanidi, who's the CTO of Independent Reserve. We speak about blockchain, crypto, um, Ethereum, the banking industry and crypto. We went all over the place. It was really a fantastic interview. So stick around. That's coming up after this break. Hi, my name is Joe Pinto. I'm the Business Operations Manager here at Manage Flitter. Did you know that Twitter can be a powerful social selling platform? But the first step to effective social selling on Twitter is to grow your Twitter account with high quality niche followers. For example, let's say you are an online bicycle retailer. Manage Flitter could help you grow your Twitter account by helping you find and follow people who have the word cyclist in their bio. The more targeted your search is, the higher likelihood these Twitter accounts will follow you back. We have millions of users, literally, that have used Manage Flitter's search, sort and filtering tools to grow their account with the right followers. This has provided them with a solid base to kickstart their social selling. Feel free to drop by manageflitter.com to trial our product or email us at Contact at manageflitter.com to schedule an obligation-free walkthrough. You're back with It's a Monkey podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. This is the first episode for 2018 as we scream on into the new year, um, sort of almost the end of uh, January. Um, I'm very excited to say in the studio in Sydney, and if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know that most of our guests are actually via Skype. So I always get quite happy when I manage to drag someone into our studio in downtown Sydney. So I managed to drag in Roman Stefaniti, who's the CTO of Independent Reserve. Now, if you're an Australian, you're probably a 
are familiar with Independent Reserve. Well, if you're an Australian interested in crypto, you would be familiar with Independent Reserve. If you international, maybe or maybe not. But Roman is the CTO of Independent Reserve, which is a um, a cryptocurrency exchange. Is that is that how you guys describe yourself? Absolutely, digital currency exchange sounds a little bit less scary for <laughs> for first time users. The, the the word crypto is definitely it's one of these words that can mean a lot of things, right? Absolutely, yes. So digital currency is how we'd like to describe ourselves. So we were actually in touch probably even before the craziness of December. I mean, you guys, I mean, the last, what, six to eight weeks, it just must be have just been absolute mad for you guys. Yes, absolutely. I sleep on Sundays usually. That's it. <laughs> and no, it's been really crazy. We've been growing um, tenfold almost every week. Um, oh, wow. And we've, we've had thousands of users sign up every day um, since the craziness started. Um, we're really struggling to keep up with demand of users opening their accounts on our exchange. Well, so we really, really crazy. appreciate you making the time to come in and have a chat to us. And um, as we said just before the interview, I mean, people... People, I mean, I mean, I get approached, and I'm not even in directly in the space, you know, by 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 acquaintances asking me all sorts of questions. People are absolutely intrigued by this thing of crypto and Bitcoin, even though Bitcoin's been around since what's it, 2009? 2009, 2009, yes, 2009. And I mean, I would imagine your role as CTO, I mean, is probably absolutely crucial because exchanges timing is so important right and technical issues that i mean a lot of the other exchanges like coinbase and and kraken kraken yeah one of the san francisco ones i mean i feel for them actually they they have suffered they have had serious um technical outages over the last couple of months right absolutely kraken has been down um pretty much the whole weekend last weekend we were doing our deployment at the same time mm-hmm. um and we were reading just their blog and feeling that pain because they were supposed to have a four-hour outage, mm-hmm. and I think it ended up to be um, two days or something like that. And we were, yeah, we really felt for them because it's a really, really tough industry to be in, especially one that has grown tenfold um, overnight, essentially. The way I explain it to friends, if you're a non-technical person listening to this interview, the way I explain scaling issues to people, you know, I think the the good and bad thing of Facebook and Google and Twitter is that they've done such a good job of scaling their technology that the expectation of people is just incredible. But the people don't realize that scaling technology is, even with all the cloud services, if you to scale fast is really difficult and especially when large amounts of data involved and large amount of, amounts of users the way i explain it to people is making yourself a sandwich is is simple making it for a friend you've got to start thinking a little bit making it for a dinner party of four or five well you've got to plan in advance when you start doing it to 20 30 or when you go to a conference where there's 500 people need to eat at once you've got to really you know and that that's sort of similar to scaling issues with tech it's it's you know having an exchange for one person is not the same as just then multiplying it out by tens of thousands of people and that's scaling issues which are not are not simple to solve absolutely i mean you get really new challenges coming with that and some problems that you've never had to solve especially because this industry has really grown really fast, um, probably faster than Facebook when Facebook was going through it. Well, especially over the last year, right? Over the last, I'd say, two, three months, yeah. it's been really yeah. crazy. 
uh, yeah, so that's that's why everyone's struggling in this industry. And the other thing is running an exchange, especially one that is really geared towards security, is really hard to to mm. scale that because you can't take shortcuts. You can't take shortcuts. You can't hack it. Absolutely. Mm. So we we encrypt everything. Everything in the database is encrypted, which is why when you try to scale and you get tenfold users, your CPU usage mm. goes up because you have to decrypt things and it's a nightmare. But I think we, we have the right team and the right architecture in place that you know we are ready to, to probably grow another 10 to 100x without any major issues. So we'll see how we go. It's, it's always a nice problem to have. But also being the CEO of a technical company and where we've, we've also gone through phases of our own technical challenges, I, I, I definitely feel for people when they caught in the middle of the customers and, and the technology challenges. And sometimes you just can't compress time. You know, you just, you just, there's just nothing for, for love or money. You just can't compress time. Are you comfortable talking about some of the stack that you guys use, some of the technology? Yeah, sure, we can do that. Yep. I mean, what, do you guys use AWS or? We're on cloud service provider. Right. Um, and we use Microsoft Stack for right. most of our stuff. Okay, great. I mean, I've been using you guys for a few months. I've definitely haven't had any glitches, which has been great. I like the approach that you guys have to security. I like I like the emails that I get on logins and and all of that. Now, you guys, you guys have what Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, and that's, that's it. it. That's it. Now, I'm I'm quite intrigued by why certain exchanges choose the coins that they do. I know there's some other Australian exchanges, they do Bitcoin only, right? And then you have this big Chinese exchange, which has just gone... Everything. Everything. I mean, they. I read an article and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear you guys are doing well too, but I, I read an article that they, after six months, their market cap is $2 billion and they're already profitable. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Crazy, crazy stuff. But they've got every single coin... I mean, you look at their page of coins that they have, it's just, just pages. So talk to me a little bit. What's the thinking? How do you, I mean, for example, why haven't you added you know, Litecoin or Neo? Or how does it work from the exchange side of things? So we're about quality rather than quantity. Mm -hmm. So for us to add a new coin, we would have to be very comfortable that it's a stable coin, mm -hmm. that there are plenty of APIs for us to, to check addresses and transactions against, that they are... Uh, they don't go down. Those are some of the considerations that we look at from technical point of view because we really don't want our customers to wait 10 hours for their deposits to come in or withdrawal to, to go out. And even with Bitcoin and Ethereum, especially with Ethereum in the last few months, we've, we've been seeing some scaling issues and mm -hmm. some slowness in the network and uh, some nodes going down and being out of sync. So those are technical challenges for an exchange. So we value our customer experience on the three coins that we offer mm -hmm. over the other altcoins that they can buy because we don't want to be in the situation where we're really struggling to support any deposits or withdrawals on those chains or any issues that those chains might have. So that's, I guess, a technical consideration. From a business consideration, we haven't wanted to choose some of the coins that that are more dodgy, I should say, mm -hmm. right, or riskier. Mm -hmm. So we we are looking at uh, putting new coins on, some of the popular ones, some that have been around for a while, mm -hmm. um, maybe like Ripple and Litecoin. 
So that's that's something in the pipeline, but we want to do them right. What do you think about the whole politics around um, which is the real Bitcoin? And you know, the, 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 there's this group of people that think you know Bitcoin is the only crypto that's actually a real crypto and providing value, and all the other altcoins are really just you know sooner or later it's the, the, the tide's going to go out and everyone's going to see that they really offering no value. Look, there are some coins that offer very very little value. Mm -hmm. um, and Dogecoin. <laughs> I, I'm, I won't. I won't. Well, name, it, it, <laughs> I, I can tell you why I can mention Dogecoin because the one of the co-founders of Dogecoin is an Australian chap, yep. um, Jackson Palmer, and he's been on the show a couple of times. Right. And I don't think he's involved with Doge anymore. But as Doge has gone right up, he's um, he's actually just said, "This is crazy. Like, be careful. This is like I don't support this." So mm. that's that's why I'm com he's comfortable saying it. So I'm comfortable saying that. Yeah, I think Dogecoin is not very different technically from Bitcoin. Uh -huh. And I guess Bitcoin Cash is not that much different from Bitcoin. Bitcoin Cash has gotten a little bit of popularity and usage because mm -hmm. there's been a lot of backing for it from really large guys. But some of the other coins, just they're not used for anything. Nobody accepts them. They have very little tech that's different from Bitcoin or Ethereum. So they might struggle. But I do believe that in the future we are going to have a number of coins that are used by many people and are equally successful. So I think Ethereum is not a direct competitor to Bitcoin, for example. They cover different builds and they do different things. You can achieve different things with those two coins. I think they will prosper side by side. And I really hope so because I like both Bitcoin and Ethereum. Some of the other ones that are more privacy-centric, for example, like Monero, they will also, I think, prosper side by side because they, they solve slightly different problem and they have slightly different use case. And I'm sure we'll see a lot more coins that will be implemented well, that will be successful and be used every day. Let, let's just talk about for a moment. I'd be curious to know if the banks in Australia have reached out to you guys because I know that Inherently, I would imagine there's a slightly antagonistic relationship inherently because in a, in a way, part of the value proposition is, is to upend the whole financial services industry in general. And the banks may be a little bit just annoyed by that. And also the fact that the, the Bitcoin comes from, there's this mystique around it of the you know, Silk Road and all that and money laundering and all that. I mean, how, how has the response been from the banks in Australia generally? Extremely negative. Really? Pretty much every single bank uh, hates this industry. Mm -hmm. They really don't like it. And uh, I guess it's a risk profile thing for them. Mm -hmm. But especially in the last few months, mm -hmm. banks have been very, very tough on Bitcoin exchanges and customers that use Bitcoin exchanges. We've had reports of customers reporting that they had troubles depositing into our bank accounts because mm -hmm. their banks have been uh, blocking the transactions. And what, what's the justification? I mean, what do the banks say when you contact them? Look, <laughs> we don't really like talking to banks. Mm -hmm. they, but we still need them, right? Uh, well, absolutely, yes, yeah. we do. We, we can't operate without a bank account. Because we still all get paid in fiat currency and we still need to pay our taxes in fiat currency. Yeah. So the banks, the banks are very cautious about this industry because it's not regulated yet. The regulation is coming and we're really pro-regulation. We, we can't wait for it, essentially, because we hope that that will solve some of the problems that we've had with banks 
and that banks will be a little bit more open to work in the industry. Don't you think, though, that regulation will defeat the purpose of some of the promise of cryptos in terms of having these deregulated, distributed, decentralized systems? I mean, I suppose it depends on the type of regulation, right? You don't want regulation that's just going to constrict it all. Absolutely. We're talking about uh, regulating digital currency exchanges, right? not regulating Bitcoin gotcha. or digital currency itself. And it's important to regulate digital currency exchanges because... There have been few dodgy operators. Mount Gox. Mount Gox, maybe some other ones. Mm -hmm. But we do want to protect consumers as well because we've started to see a lot of your mom and dad Mm. investors or even users of digital currencies pouring hundreds of thousands of dollars into this space. So we want to have frameworks to protect those. So Coinbase, which is one of the the big exchanges in the... Uh, US, which interestingly, I saw, uh, you're probably aware of this, that Westpac invested $25 million or so into Coinbase. Right, okay. Yeah, as an equity position. I think I heard something like that. Yeah, which I find really interesting. But Coinbase mentioned how they um, store their private keys or or someone, I mean, I'm I'm not sure if it was them themselves, but they, they literally have private keys in safety deposit boxes spread across the states, which just sounds crazy to me. I mean, it makes sense from a risk mitigation point of view. Now, the private keys, obviously, probably what keeps you up at night. I mean, that's the crux of, you're looking very calm, so maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what can you share with us about the private keys? Because unless people take their private keys and, and have hardware wallets, essentially, in a way, you custodian of, of their assets, right? I mean, Absolutely, yes. And, and they are trusting you that when they call upon that, you're going to give that back to yep. them. So we store about 90% of our digital assets offline called mm-hmm. storage. Mm-hmm. It's on encrypted laptop, encrypted file. It's in a vault. It's accessible by two out of three directors mm-hmm. uh, that have to do a multi-signature to withdraw the bitcoins. So we're very comfortable that uh, our cold storage is extremely secure. The hot wallet also, mm-hmm. uh, the system was designed to, to manage the private keys for the hot wallet. So they're encrypted by the server. It's also double encrypted by hardware security module. Mm-hmm. So we can't actually get the private keys for the hot wallet either. It's extremely, extremely difficult. So we've had few cases where People have requested private keys for their deposit wallets Mm -hmm. and, you know, because they've sent some ICOs there or something like that, especially for Ethereum, a lot of ICOs. And we we have to deny that because we can't actually access that. Mm. We've built our system specifically to, to stop anyone from, including administrators, from easily obtaining those private keys. So the system manages that and it's totally hands off. And we're very comfortable that it's pretty secure. So what's your policy? I mean, do you encourage your customers to have their own hardware wallets? Do you stay neutral? Do you not not have a policy? I mean, out there on Twitter, everyone's saying, unless you control your private keys, you're not controlling your Bitcoin or your crypto. um, What's your view as a company in terms of your customers around that issue? Absolutely. I mean, I keep my Bitcoins on independent reserve because... Uh I'm so comfortable with, with how we manage private keys. Right. But I guess you are right. If you want to control your Bitcoins, 
you should have them in an offline wallet, whether it's a paper wallet, cold storage, um, your treasure. It's the only way that you actually control the Bitcoins. By the same token, if you wanted to sell your Bitcoins or if you're a regular trader, it is a little bit inconvenient to have to transfer back and forth from your cold storage. If you wanted to, say, sell really quickly, it will take you, you know, an hour or so to, to get Bitcoins off your cold storage into an exchange. I mean, there's the one aspect which is the technical risk, but there's also the business risk. I mean, I don't know who Independent Reserve is, you know, and if, if, if there's a business risk and you guys sort of suddenly tomorrow are all gone, it's gone, you know, and I, and, I, and I think that's where maybe regulation can at least provide some confidence that there's somebody that has just checked that whoever's set up as an exchange, there's some sort of liquidity, there's some sort of solvency there um, because people can get bitten. Absolutely. So Austrac is going to regulate this space very, very shortly. Mm-hmm. And I guess all of the digital currency exchanges in Australia will have to be on the register, which will be publicly accessible. So people will be able to, to look up whether independent reserve is on the register, whether they're regulated by Austrac. And that's coming very, very soon. So I notice you guys don't accept cash deposits from ins- like, a, like a branch deposit. Is that a decision from you guys or it's a bank or both? It's a decision or? from us. Right. We have set our bar very, very, very high for uh, KYC and uh, AML policies, mm-hmm. know your customer and anti-money laundering. Mm-hmm. So we verify all our users uh, before they can deposit or withdraw fiat currencies. And this is because we want to be really above board of any regulation that would come in. And we definitely are the leading exchange that, that is doing this in Australia. So our KYC and AML policies are definitely the best in the country. And this is because we wanted to be ready for any regulation and because we didn't want to have any trouble at all with any banks. This also attracts more of um, institutional investors. Mm-hmm. So we've been seeing those talking to us and coming on board as well, which is really, really good. Great. So... I mean, your business model is you've you obviously just like equity exchanges. You there's a there's a, a sort of transaction fee. But do you, do you also do you take do you make on on spreads a bit as well, or is, you don't? So it's, no, it's, we don't. So if I buy at X rates, it's it's not you haven't bought it at a bit of a discount, and you get a bit on a premium on top of that. Absolutely not. We're a um, open order book exchange. Mm-hmm. So when you're buying any if you're buying Bitcoin, uh, cash, Ethereum, uh, you're actually buying from another trader on the other side. And we only take the 0.5% fee on that. And that order book, those trades, do they, are, they, are they from a group of exchanges or are they only from independent reserve? No, they are from other users like yourself. But, but they, they're not necessarily independent reserve customers, right? Yes, they are. They're all 100% our customers. Our, they all are. The whole order book yep, right. is all of our customers. So do most exchanges work like that? Like they um, all... All the order book exchanges do. Right. For example, CoinJar doesn't. So right. they buy Bitcoins from another exchange or, right. and then they put their premium on and then they sell it to a customer. Right. Uh, so they're really a Bitcoin shop rather than an exchange. Gotcha. Yes. And CoinJar is the other, uh, if you're listening, you haven't heard of them, they're another Australian exchange of, of sorts. That's interesting. And you guys have been around since when? 2013. 
Okay, so a, quite a, a while. A little while. I mean, it's yeah. it's um, the the last few months must have just blown any historicals out of the water, right? Absolutely, yes. And how do you manage risk around? I mean, do you get concerned that there's, there'll be a, a run on the exchange ever in terms of everyone wanting cashing out money at some stage? Or look, an exchange, I guess, makes money on volatility. Mm-hmm. So whether you're buying in or cashing out, we we take a small fee and that's it. So we, I guess we're not scared of that. Mm-hmm. Um, if Bitcoin was to go down, which it has in the last uh, week or so, mm-hmm. we are not really concerned because we believe that digital currencies have a really bright future. Whether it's Bitcoin or something else, it's going it's going to stay and it's going to, to prosper and going to be used widely. That's that's what we believe. So, how complicated is it to set up an exchange? From a, I would imagine there's technical constraints, and there's also you'd need some sort of liquidity and be able to build the book. I would imagine it's being a two-sided market. It's a little bit tricky to get going, right? Absolutely. Just from a technical side, mm-hmm. it's extremely difficult. The challenges. I mean, I haven't slept in a really long time, <laughs> a full night. Right. Um, we've been working really around the clock. Right. And it is very difficult from, I mean, we're starting from managing private keys, cold storage, to managing our bank accounts and mm-hmm. accounting, to actually running a 24-7 system. I mean, we have API that's open to, to the public. So we have bots that run 24-7. They never sleep. We go down for an hour to do maintenance. We get hundreds of emails mm-hmm. I know the feeling around that one, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's technically it's very difficult, mentally it's very difficult, and you have to overcome a lot of challenges. What's the size of your technical team? Uh, we have five senior developers, mm-hmm. myself who runs the team. Mm-hmm. We have a technical guy who runs our support staff, and we have about six support people. Are you guys funded or self-funded or self-funded? Fantastic. Well, <laughs> at the beginning there were some investors, uh-huh. but at the moment, yeah, we're we're making revenue. Yeah, that's in the positives. That's that's great. And um, are you okay to authenticate customers from overseas, or they need to be Australians? No, we do. We accept uh, overseas customers. There are some jurisdictions that we don't really like to work with uh-huh. due to some banking restrictions, but most are okay. And I mean, is in your view, is the whole money laundering, is it is it a real issue? I mean, or is it just as, it's just like cash or just like the, it's just like all the other systems face, it's not better or worse? I don't think it's better or worse, but mm-hmm. I still do think that 99% of money laundering happens through either cash or the banking system. Yeah. Earlier today, I saw in the news they arrested some Australian guys in Serbia with hundreds of millions of dollars worth of cash and they actually took photos of this physical in about 10 different currencies. <laughs> so I would imagine there's still there's still some advantages to to the cash. Um, any, Roman, any resources for people to check out? I mean, I, I've got my own Twitter list of people that I'm following that are, or, and, and I, I think Core is pretty good and there's Reddit. Any other resources for people that just really want to stay across what what um, um, I guess Andreas the Bitcoin God is the uh, uh, uh-huh, is the one uh-huh. that 
most people should listen to or check out. He's really, really interesting. He's been um, traveling the world, just giving free workshops on Bitcoin, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you if you come across any of his talks in Sydney, definitely go and visit. He's an excellent speaker and very, very interesting. He has some absolutely fantastic ideas to as to where digital currencies are going. And they're very, very interesting. I'll definitely. I've actually seen him on Twitter and I've seen that they did a big campaign to raise money for him recently because he hasn't really made direct money. And But I actually haven't actually watched any of his talks, but I'll check them out. He's been number one Bitcoin evangelist, I think, in the tech space anyway. So one thing I'm curious about, a talk going a little bit back to the bank side of things. To me, it seems like the most obvious thing for banks to do is to have a uh, online wallet for cryptos right they they in the, w- what they've been selling for years is trust they're in the trust game people already trust the banks charge ten dollars for an online wallet to store your cryptos and um I, unless i'm missing something it just seems probably technically in the scheme of things it would be relatively sort of doable for them i think the banks would really struggle with this mm-hmm because of their sizes. Look, to be honest, I think it is a lot easier to secure a bank than a Bitcoin exchange. Really? I think so, yeah. Uh Because it's centralized? Because it's centralized, because there's no essentially money as such. Uh If you have 50 billion or 50 million dollars in your bank account, say, there isn't a pile of 50 million dollars in some safe that somebody yeah. has to to guard that somebody can break into and take but you do have that with a bitcoin exchange so that's where the challenge is if you're a bank you just keep some numbers in a mm. database if you're a bitcoin exchange you actually keep bitcoins somewhere in a safe if that makes sense yeah you know it's interesting i never i'd never had uh consider that so um, I mean and any other interesting companies or services or products in the crypto space that that people should look at whether it's um, for research or tooling or or even trade I mean you you mentioned some of the hardware wallets I think I've got a Trezor Trezor Nano S is really popular as well Mm -hmm. those are really good wallets to have they do really large range of currencies as well, which is really handy. One of the things that I would really like to mention is people thinking about getting into this space mm-hmm. really should take time and educate themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Whether it's on starting with something as simple as Wikipedia or reading some material online or going to some trusted exchanges and reading what they have to say. Uh, we sell a book that was written okay, by one cool. of the co-founders mm-hmm. a while ago. It's a little bit um, older now, Mm -hmm. but still a really interesting read. And really encourage people to understand the differences between Bitcoin and Ethereum and Ripple. Because a lot of people have been getting into this space and buying Ripple simply because it's $2.50. Because it made 13,000% over the last 12 months, right? Yes, but what does that actually mean? Mm. What, What is Ripple, you know? What are you actually getting? How does it work? Why is it valuable? Why is it not valuable? The s- same for Bitcoin. And they're pretty different, right? Ripple doesn't have a public blockchain um, yes. like Bitcoin does. So they're, they're quite significantly different. They are very significantly different, yes. 
So this is one of the interesting things that I've come across. Most people who I have spoken to who thought that Bitcoin was a pyramid scheme or a scam mm -hmm. didn't actually take time to, to read anything about it or educate themselves. They simply heard about it and assumed that this technology cannot work, cannot exist because they can't, can't even imagine how it would work. So those are the types of people that are not getting into Bitcoin and they should really read up about it before, you know, talking negative or speaking their mind about it. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's some fantastic resources, YouTube talks, podcasts. I mean, is there any, I, I've always been joking on this podcast that there's, there's, there's only like six people in the world that um, really understand from, you know, the full stack of Bitcoin, really. I mean, is it that w when I read some of these articles about some of these, I mean, the, the, and I'm, I'm relatively technical, I'm not a developer, but I'm, I'm technical to, to say I'm relatively technical, like I'm confident enough to say. I mean, how, how many people really understand it right to the deep level? It gets incredibly, incredibly complex, right? Absolutely, yes. Probably you're right. Probably <laughs> not, not six, but... I'm sure you, you understand know. a little bit more than I do. <laughs> not six, but not that many. I think anyone who is interested in this should read the original white paper by Satoshi Nakamoto. It's, it's a very short read and very interesting, and it doesn't go into that much technical detail, um, but it's, you know, deep enough. I guess Bitcoin utilizes so many technologies and so much maths that mm. you really have to be a genius to really understand it all. But understanding how blockchain functions, public, private key, cryptography, things like that, you know, hashing, I guess is also a little bit too technical for most users. So it depends really how deep you want to go. Yeah, and I think things like public and private key is actually relatively easy to understand for anyone, even just conceptually. And it's so clever. Yes. And it's, and it's been around forever. I mean, I remember learning about it when email first came out and PGP and all of that sort mm. of um, side of things. It's um, What I like about the crypto space is that you know, so many people were critical that it's useless learning maths at school and uni. And suddenly this whole world is, and sure there was the internet, but it was still a bit obfuscated there. But now crypto, it's just in your face that it's maths, right? It's really like hardcore maths that's just driving this whole sort of shift. Absolutely. But I think just like most people don't need to understand how email works or how SMS or telephones or now, you know, WhatsApp uh, works. Most people won't need to understand how digital currencies work to, to use them in the future. So it won't harm though, right? Won't harm, absolutely, yes. I mean, I think a lot of people today, a lot of people in their 20s don't understand. I mean, don't probably haven't even heard of TCPIP. Yes, exactly. You know, or packet switching or things like it just... It just, but it's there the whole time. It doesn't harm, especially if you work in the industry. Any... Any interesting, um, on a final note, any interesting 
coins or ICOs? I mean, you've mentioned some of them that are that that you mentioned um, the one with the privacy one. I forget the Monero. Monero people, and there's obviously um, Neo, which is a, a little bit like an Ethereum for ICOs. Any other quirky um, coins or ICOs that, that are we're not recommending you buy them, but just interesting to look at? Look, we we look at so many new ones. Uh, we talk to a few uh, ICOs, uh-huh. maybe once a week. Really, Australian um, ones. Australian ones, uh-huh. a few overseas, mainly Aussie ones. To be honest, I can't really recommend one. It would be really unfair. To anyone, um, so but start out with checking out some of those Monero and and yeah. Neo and have you guys ever thought about wrapping a coin into your own exchange? I believe some of them have done that, right? Uh, yes, uh, I think you are talking about um, it's BNB Tether, right? So Tether is pegged to US dollar, uh-huh. so its exchange rate is one to one to US dollar, and the idea behind Tether is a company holds US dollars for every tether that they issue. And then you can exchange tether for for your dollar essentially at any time. And then you can obviously transfer tether to other exchanges that trust the tether will be exchanged for a dollar. And there's also the the BNB coin as well, which is with the the exchange um is it Bit Bitfinex? I'll just fire it up quickly. That's that's their own co- they're an exchange and they got right. their own I coin. I think that as well. was um, because they lost some of their uh, customers' funds and then they issued the coin instead of the funds to right. to be later redeemed for for dollars when they make their money back. This Something is, um, like that. Binance. Binance. Right. Not familiar with that. It's one of the largest exchanges. They yeah. do almost every coin. They do almost every coin. But yeah. they, they've got BNB, which is which is their own coin, which I'm trying to get my head around how that fits into their picture as well. There's so, so many new ICOs coming out. It's really, really hard to keep up. Um, as I said, we, we talked to about one a week, Aussie ones, ranging from some less interesting ones to some very, very interesting ones, mm-hmm. yes. There's definitely a right way and a wrong way to do an ICO. And again, before jumping into mm-hmm. an ICO, everyone should do their due diligence. Don't just give people your money. Please, exactly. whatever you do, <laughs> don't just give people your money. You might not see it again. It's don't get carried away by these fancy numbers of 13,000% and uh, take take and I'm definitely not licensed to give financial advice, but nothing you can lose everything. So just be careful. Just be careful. Yeah, it's um, it's you know the dopamine. It's it's people are just drunk on the dopamine at the moment. Absolutely, you know? they yes. just love seeing the humans love just seeing numbers go up, right? Everyone and and they love feeling smart in a in a bull market. That's why I think these corrections are really good. They're really healthy, mm. just to really remind people just that it's this you can't defy the laws of physics, and the laws of physics is not just go up in perpetuity forever type thing. Well, it keeps the guys who understand something about the market and understand the technology and, I guess, have the balls in the market, in the game, which is a good thing. Although um, the day traders provide liquidity, so you know, we need them. I'm, I'm more of a value investor. But anyway, Ro- Roman, it's been a, a fascinating chat. I wish you guys um, well. I'm a, I'm a happy customer of Independent Reserve, so... 
people can check you guys out at independentreserve.com. I've been using you guys uh, for a while. And it's interesting to see that they don't have to be in Australia. So I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. Somehow I thought, I suppose I use, uh, I've dabbled in Coinbase just for an experiment and I'm not based there. So I suppose they, they aren't really jurisdictional issues. Well, interesting. Coinbase doesn't actually have an Australian bank account. Mm-hmm. So you can't cash out from Coinbase. You can, you can send Bitcoins in. You can uh, buy Bitcoins mm-hmm. from Australia. Mm-hmm. You can withdraw Bitcoins. And most people then realize that, oh, I can't sell Bitcoins on Coinbase and then yeah. transfer the money to Australia. So they end up withdrawing Bitcoins to independent reserve from Coinbase and then selling on our exchange, yeah. which so is actually good for us. Yeah. So it's um, not you, good on you guys. You got in the game and you, you stuck with it. And uh, I've been chatting to Roman Stefaniti. Are you on, are you on Twitter? No. Yes, but no. <laughs> yes, but no. I'm silent Twitter user. Okay, you one of the. You can follow Independent Reserve on Twitter. Yep, I've, I will I've, give you a link after. I've I've noticed you guys. I've, I follow you guys there, and um, yep, it was really um, great having you on the show. I wish you I wish you guys uh, continued success, and uh, I hope you get some sleep, and I hope you guys continue to have a nice, smooth sailing, technical path as opposed to some of the. The, the other bits and pieces so yeah i mean you're obviously doing something right to make it look uh, like it's all humming along i think people people underestimate i mean the complexity of systems is just really um, really quite something these days and um, to make it all look so so easy and nothing's going wrong there's a, a, a lot of effort behind that so i really appreciate you coming in uh, from north sydney into the sydney cbd for chatting with us on the podcast and um, good luck with it all Thank you, Kevin. Thanks. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. So, Kate, as I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, before, when we did our podcast before this, um, it was just before the storm was about to hit in terms of Bitcoin and crypto and, and all hell was unleashed when Bitcoin just started to surge all the way to 20,000. I mean, we've been talking about the about Bitcoin on the show for a long time. I think our first Bitcoin-related interview was in 2014, so quite a long time ago. Um, and we've been touching on it a little bit every now and then. And um, but But really, I mean, December was quite something else and even the way it sort of everyone everyone discovered Bitcoin and half of my yoga friends started contacting me wanting to know about Bitcoin. So, uh, yeah, it was interesting just the difference that a few weeks can make. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember when I was in Sydney in November, yourself and everyone else in the office was, no, you got to get on this Bitcoin wagon. And then, yeah, the last couple of days I've noticed it's um, apparently dropped down to below 10,000 now. Yeah, I think it's come up a it's come up a little bit. Now it depends when people listen to this podcast, but today, what's the date today? For it's the nineteenth of January, Friday the nineteenth. It's come up a little bit. It's it's over eleven thousand US on the as of today, but you know, it bounces around all over the place. And where was it in December? Oh, December it peaked at nearly twenty thousand. Okay. okay. So yeah, so I mean, you know, we don't give financial advice 
on the show and be very careful with what you do with your money, as we mentioned. But, um, you know, depending on your view on Bitcoin, I'm very bullish on it. I think it's it's good buying opportunity. But the chat with Roman was really interesting and, and there were a lot of areas that were interesting, particularly I find the, the the banking sector, the challenges they're having with the banking sector quite quite ironic, actually. I mean, and as I mentioned in the podcast, it's I'm still surprised that the banks haven't somehow found a way to to get involved with all of this. Maybe they still will, but um, it's they seem to be giving the the exchanges quite a rough time. Yeah, you made a point as well about uh, Westpac. I'm mm-hmm. still a bit confused. Um, what have they What have they done? They've bought into Bitcoin, have they? No, they've bought into an exchange. So a lot of big companies, they'll take an equity position in other companies that they may have a strategic interest in. So there's a, a very big American exchange called Coinbase that's been in, you know, had a little bit of controversy around it for a whole variety of reasons that I, I won't get into. But it's been around for a little while. They've raised a huge amount of money. They've raised a huge amount of equity funding. And Westpac were one of the people that put money into Coinbase, which is interesting because A, they're an American company and Westpac's an Australian bank. I'm having a look at the Westpac site. You know, I I just stumbled onto this fact that I'm looking at the Westpac site. They've got a portfolio of a few startups that they've invested in. Now, being a conservative, quote unquote, bank, it's still pretty impressive. They've they've invested in these startups. Trying to have a look at, um, just confirm that, here we go, 2015. So a little while back, Westpac invested in Coinbase. So yeah, they, yeah. Anyway, you can Google it. There's, there's, they've invested quite a bit of money. I mean, some of these big companies have a investment arm, so they'll allocate a chunk of money to this investment arm and say, go invest in strategic companies that we could maybe benefit on or form a relationship, and maybe down the track we can buy. Um, but yeah, a lot of people don't know that Westpac have an interest in uh, in Coinbase. So, I mean, I, I think Roman is probably. Probably having an experience that's a once-in-a-lifetime career experience to be really at the cutting edge of an industry that is pushing so hard and is and is it's a seismic shift, just like the internet was, sort of between I don't know, you know, ninety-seven and and two thousand and one. It's these these real sort of bursts of innovation and 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 seismic shifts don't happen that often in our lifetime. Yeah, definitely. I think he did say on there he only sleeps on Sundays. <laughs> I have to say, he looked very calm and relaxed and well-rested. So, you know, I think some of these good CTOs and tech leads, etc., the, the ones that rise to the top are actually quite measured. You have to be. You're dealing with a huge amount of stress. I know even Ricky, who's the tech lead um, for Managed Flutter, he's a very calm, measured chap. And I think you have to be because panic's our worst enemy and the stakes are high and you, you have to be thinking clearly around these projects. Otherwise, you can really make things worse. So he, um, Roman definitely seemed like he's, he's rolling, rolling with the punches and um, they seem to be doing pretty well. And it's, it's, in a way, it's a nice problem to have to, to try to manage all the, the new users that you have. Yeah, definitely. Um, so have you heard of any new, like, interesting ways people are using cryptocurrency since we've, like, sort of talked about, uh, I think it's called Scalamed with uh, Tal Rupke? 
so tells yes, Scalamed was using the blockchain, not really cryptocurrency. So okay. it was using the blockchain aspect of it, which is the database distributed database essentially. So there's no cryptocurrency component per se. So there's the blockchain technology which underpins a lot of the cryptocurrency. And I do encourage you if it's you know, as Roman made the points you don't need to understand the absolute ins and outs of cryptocurrency to get involved with it. You can just have a big picture understanding of it, just like we mentioned people, you know, you don't understand the inner, inner none of us understand the inner workings of our computer, but, you know, we know how to use them and, and how it can add value. It's a similar thing with cryptocurrency. So there's a tons on YouTube. I have a personal list. If you follow me on Twitter, I've got a, a list called a Twitter list called Blockchain, where I follow some interesting sorts. There's on Quora, there's some great answers. Um, YouTube is full of bits and pieces. And dabble with it. It's, in my opinion, it's here to stay. I've always got to be careful when I put things on the record, right? In a year, we could be yeah. talking. It could could all sort of been gone. Um, I've, anyway, I, I certainly think in some shape, manner, or form. A lot of the big investment companies in Silicon Valley have come out and said they're only focusing on cryptocurrency businesses from here on out. So um, I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, two incredibly smart people years ago were just talking about blockchain and Bitcoin and were saying, we've got to keep an eye, a close eye on it. One of them was Mark Andreessen, who's the founder of one of the, the first web browser, Netscape. He's a very successful venture capital investor in Silicon Valley, billionaire, um, probably a few times over, a uh, super smart guy. He was been talking about it for ages. And of course, the previous co-host of this podcast, James Peter, who's also the previous um, co-founder and, and, and technical uh, lead of Manage Flitter, he, I still tease him now that he said Bitcoin is going to be a thing when 2014 and he bought a few, but unfortunately he sold too early. So... You know, I think in doing research around everything in life, there's a lot of smart people and more than ever, we can access the opinions of these smart people. And sometimes research is, and getting an opinion is just about finding these smart people and actually listening to them because there are people that probably have five, ten times the capacity in the, this specific area that, and understanding than we do. So, um, so, yeah, so I don't have any particular, you know, tips other than to dabble and play and um, put a little bit of gambling money inside the cryptos. I I'm, I'm also learn about something called value investing as opposed to trading. So value investing is finding good assets, buying them and holding them. I think the mistake that a lot of people make is they, they, they don't have patience and they, like to, and they like to buy and they like to sell humans. It's all about psych everything psychology in life, right, Kate? Very true. Everything, life is about managing your own psychology. You know, it's, it's, it's really an exercise in that. And the more we get to understand that and the more we get to manage that, the more we can uh, so, sort of succeed in my opinion. So, and yeah, I have been nagging you to get into it for a little while. So. <laughs> you still haven't convinced me. No, why not? No, I'm not too sure. I think number one, I just haven't had the time to sort of do some proper reading. Uh-huh. Would be my biggest reason. It is on my list to look into it a little bit more and just see how it goes. I think you're a very measured person as well, and crypto volatility and craziness and and the cowboyness. It doesn't suit your personality. No, <laughs> it doesn't feel safe. <laughs> yeah, I I I know you. I I can un I can understand that, but um, 
you know, it's it's it just it just that that volatility is very visible. You know, even in property, there's volatility, but it's not as visible because you only get to know the value of your property truly when you sell it, right? True. True. Or if if you rent it out, and then eventually, yeah, then you get the return event in in time. In time. Yes. Well, I've I've I've, got, I've I've reached out to a couple of other people that are into crypto and blockchain, and we'll have them on the show. Some of them are contrarians. Um, we have chatted to people in the past on the podcast as well that 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 are less bullish about it. I like to canvas all views. But that's it for episode one one one. Lucky one one one. We've enjoyed this podcast as always. Please subscribe, leave us feedback on iTunes, tell one friend about it. We love doing it. We know that you're listening. We know that you're out there. And follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook. We also put our shows up on YouTube. We're trying, we're trying to do everything right. But thanks so much for listening. So from myself, Kevin Garber, and Kate Frappel, we will catch you maybe next week or the week after the week after, but we'll try come back to you as soon as possible.